Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDilling. My colleague and I, Shanu Prasad, are very excited to be talking to Sarah Bailey today. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? Um, we're, we're doing okay. How are you doing? I am also doing okay. Yep. Can't, <laughs> can't complain. Well, shouldn't complain too much. Probably could, but won't. In 2022, uh, this is 2021 recording of middle of lockdowns for number 3,050 for Melbourne and number only two for Sydney, but feels like 47 for us. So uh, if you're listening in 2022, hopefully you're like, what are these people? Why do these people sound so weird? We're having a great happy time. (laughs) But the wonderful thing about lockdown is that it does provide you with some extra reading time. True. And I have been delighted to use some of that reading time to read your latest book, The Housemate. For all the people listening, Sarah, could you just outline a little bit about The Housemate and what it's all about? So The Housemate is a crime fiction novel. It's a um, it's like a pr- pr- police procedural, but the main character is a journalist. So I don't know if that's like a journo procedural or some new subgenre, but I'll, I'll go with that for now. Um, And it's the story of Olive Groves, who is a reporter, a crime reporter, and for for a print newspaper. And essentially a cold case that she worked on years ago hots up again. So a story from um, her past that was unresolved um, hits the headlines again and she's sucked sucked back into that story. Uh, And then I guess there's some parallels going on because the detective that actually worked on the case used to be the the wife of her current fiance so yeah so that's how I, how, how I'd summarize it <laughs> such a uh, juicy situation to put your main character yes. in um, yes. this is your first step away from Gemma Woodstock um, how did that feel to move on from her to a whole new character it felt it felt good, I think. Um, I love writing the Gemma books and I really enjoyed, um, well, I didn't enjoy all of the writing process, but I really enjoyed finishing those three books. <laughs> and I think I felt um, ready to try a new character out and a new story. And I really liked the idea of getting into the head of a journalist. I wanted to be a journalist when I was younger, so I think this is a bit of an unfulfilled fantasy for me. And it felt really fun to follow a story from a slightly different angle. There's lots of similarities, you know, that she's still a detective in many ways, but just that slightly different um, worrying about how the story was going to be perceived, I guess, is a, is a different thing. Um, so I really liked um, that, that kind of uh, exploration, I suppose, of not just what's happening, but the management of the narrative and the story as a journalist, I guess, is a whole different dimension than what a police person has to worry about. So, yeah, it was fun. And Ollie's different from Gemma um, in many ways, but there is still, you know, a really interesting, hopefully complicated, layered character that um, people will like reading about. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but, um, you know, Gemma still has a big place in my heart. Uh, I've, I've got a place in my heart for Ollie and Gemma. She really, I really enjoyed Ollie's perspective. I also really loved, like I would love to know at what point in the writing process you decided to give this complicated, complex woman dealing with all this heavy stuff the name Olive Groves. 
<laughs> I think um, I just, I, I quite like unusual names, but um, I just thought that it was sort of something that she's obviously had to live with her whole life, um, that she's always found to be mildly embarrassing. And she's kind of got away with it by calling herself Ollie. Um, but yeah, it, it comes up every now and in the book, now and again in the book, and people obviously find it humorous. And I just, I think little things like that just, I guess, help add some light to a fairly dark tale. So, yeah, it was sort of intentional, but also just came to me, so it stuck. <laughs> it's really good. It's that I have a friend called Peter Allen, for example. Peter Allen, his parents didn't think about that. You know, there's, you know, and so it's, even though it, it's like, you know, as Sarah's saying, like it gives a little bit, and you're, both Sarah's are saying, gives a little bit of uh, brevity, but you still, you still get that sense of reality of like, oh, like having to deal with that kind of thing just adds that. I think that's what's so brilliant about your book is those, those little details are what really rounds the characters out and make them, make them feel like, like real people that you could, um, that you could know. And certainly the way you describe Ollie and like particularly her, the voice and how she talks um, is just, it's just amazing. And I'm just picturing, I just pictured to her throughout the whole, the whole book in my head. So I hope, I kind of hope they never make a movie, even though they hope they do, because they never, how are they going to find an actor that's going to be as good as the picture I have in my head that you created for us, I don't know. Um, and I haven't read your other series yet, but now that I've read this book, I'm like, the first thing I did was, okay, must go and order all three, <laughs> um, all three of the Gemma books. So I'm really excited to, um, to uh, see how you've done that same sort of thing with that character. And I think for a lot of readers, if they come to this book first, because I'm, I'm a big fan of standalones, because I don't like reading series until they're done. <laughs> and so a standalone is great for people that are like me. Um, so I think that they're going to probably find the same because once you finish this book, all you want to do is uh, read more about this, this world. Um, so really, I just want to thank you for writing a book that made my Sunday in lockdown like feel like I was back seven years ago in 2015 <laughs> rather than in uh, 2021, which is uh, unfortunately where we're, where we're sitting right now. <laughs> that's not a question. Yeah, that's just me talking about the book. But um, yeah, you're that's, what I that's, <laughs> that's lovely. It's lovely to um, have that feedback. And I think I wasn't nervous exactly writing this book. That's not kind of the right um, way to describe it. But definitely once it was finished, I was probably a bit apprehensive um, about launching a standalone into the world. Um, not everyone likes the series I wrote before this book, but I guess there is sort of like an expectation around it. And yeah, it's it's a bit um, it's a bit scary, kind of doing a whole new character and a whole new um, sort of premise. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that people um, like it as much as they like the Gemma books, or, or if not more. <laughs> uh, you mentioned in the acknowledgements that the idea for this one came to you like quite a while ago, and it took you a while to kind of figure out how to get it down on the page. So um, I just wanted to know what was the first spark of that idea and when did it first arrive? Yes, I, I kind of, it's been kind of rolling around my head for a while. There was a few iterations of it. I sort of had two storylines, I think, that in the end maybe came together. So um, I had always had this idea of a dinner party in Melbourne and something just going really, really awry, um, someone ending up at the end of a dinner party evening uh, and then sort of almost like um, differing witness statements from that night. That, that I think was how it originally um, rattled around in my head. Um, and then on the other hand, I had this thought around 
wouldn't it be really interesting if a reporter or even it might have originally been a cop I think um, was with someone who um, had a, a widow like was a widow of a partner who used to be a cop and so they ended up sort of retracing their footsteps sort of Rebecca style um, and feeling like they were kind of uh, competing with a ghost um, of, of this deceased partner and so I think I think I was trying to make both of those stories work uh, on their own and then in the end I just sort of mushed them all together and um, <laughs> that's what the housemate kind of turned into so yeah hopefully hopefully that has worked but um yeah I quite I guess I always like having um stories that have a personal aspect and then and then the crime itself um, and I and I think that was my answer to sort of how I made both of those storylines come together. They sort of solved my my two requirements from a from a book point of view. And <laughs> um, were there any like real life cases that you researched while um, writing this book, or that might have inspired the plot a little bit? Yes, but like a big sort of amalgamation of quite a few. So um, I did reread um, Joe Sinque's consolidation um, book because I I had read it a long time ago, and that's the Helen Garner book um, that she wrote about the the partner and the the true life um, true crime case in Sydney. Um, and I th I sort of found that whole thing really creepy, and the idea of sort of like this group of friends. Um, I guess being involved in something quite sinister and closing in on each other and then there was a couple of um, cases there was one actually in New Zealand where a, a bunch of people that lived together sort of uh, got themselves all involved in this um, crime situation I won't go into too much details because I don't want to ruin the story but um, yeah and then and then I, I did go to a few um, court cases and um, a lot of sort of uh, cyber crimes and different ways that people were connecting to to kind of do things that were illegal um i think that it just all kind of started percolating and, and kind of turned into the plot of this story but yeah it's hard it's always hard to put your finger on any one thing because i think it ends up being such a such a sort of um mix and match of different sort of stories and then they kind of all evolve based on the characters anyway but yeah it's definitely a case of trying to come up with stuff that's believable and um, I think as technology changes as well, like, you know, new technology always leads to new crime, <laughs> which yeah. is like yeah. progress, but also opportunity. Yeah. That's right. And so the police and the, um, the sort of the criminal world are always like sort of in lockstep with each other, um, making progress in, you know, from a technology point of view. So I find that really interesting as well. And so there was some deliberate kind of um, scene setting for this book in terms of when certain uh, when I wanted to set it based on what I wanted the technology of the time to be because that fed into what was sort of feasible and believable so I did change the timeline quite a bit just after I kind of did a bit of research on what was actually possible and available at certain times which was yeah interesting I guess to navigate yeah we were actually that was one of the questions that we we were really thinking about we were like it's so it was um like I said, really great to be able to read something where you didn't have to worry about when is the pandemic going to be brought into it. But um, also, we presume there was a reason that we that things needed to be set for those particular times. Um, just you know, because of as you said, technology is so different now that you really couldn't write that that same story set now. But um, did you um, 
did the year of 2000 and uh, sort of five and then the, uh, 2015, did that come about for other reasons as well, rather than just the technology, like rather than setting it, say, five years earlier or two years later or something, was it? So the biggest reason for the um, timeline was that there was two things. I wanted the, the dual timelines to be far enough apart that there had been all of these things happening. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Ollie's current uh, fiancé needed to have become widowed, so that needed to have happened, and there needed to be a bit of time um, just because of the way the cold case um, sort of played out. Um, so there was that was sort of important from a um, time gap perspective. Um, but the main reason for shuffling around the timelines was also to do with podcasts um, because there's quite a strong storyline in the book that involves a podcast and I needed to make sure that it was something that felt new at the time in the book that it was um, being introduced. So, uh, yeah, I, I went back and um, worked out sort of when podcasts really started to take off um, in Australia and also overseas and had to kind of just align that with the media landscape to make sure that because they're in the world of journalism and they're talking about podcasts and Ollie is so sceptical of them, it had to be at a point in time. <laughs> yeah, it had to be at a point in time where you, she could be sceptical without looking silly. Um, yeah. And around sort of 2014, 2015 and, you know, the year after, they definitely hadn't reached a, a critical mass that they are now. And so there was a lot of journalists that were pretty sceptical about would they take off, uh, were they legitimate, you know, were they kind of... Um, taking much needed resources from traditional media. So that that felt believable, but had to happen at a point in time. Mm. We, yeah, we wondered if so it might have been <laughs> yeah. connected to that. I love the podcast element of this uh, book. I was just saying to Shani before the podcast, I only need to hear that there's a podcast element involved in a crime novel and I'm like right there because I listen to a lot myself. Are you a, are you a listener of crime podcasts? Yeah, I think it's podcasts suit me so well because I do like to, you know, um, get out and about and, and I also like to do two things at once. So for me, it's the perfect thing if I have to cook or if I have to clean or if I have to, you know, go and walk down to the post office and get something, It's it feels like not wasted time if you've got a podcast on. So I yeah. really, I've embraced them, I think, quite early. Um, and yeah, I just think it's it's. It's also great for research, like from a um, crime writing point of view, um, to your question before about, you know, being inspired by real life um, events, you, I'm constantly picking up just little tiny um, seeds of sort of inspiration from podcasts. And it might not necessarily be like the whole premise of a book, but it's just like one little detail that I'm like, oh, that's a really good um, example of how that could work, you know. So, yeah, I think it's really I just think it's research, so it's very legitimate. <laughs> it all goes into the memory bank. Um, That's right. So I think we should talk a little bit about specific characters, but this is where we all have to be on our best behaviour to not um, go into any kind of spoiler territory. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, all the talk about podcasts kind of makes me want to talk about Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, as a character and and how he is a bit of a foil for Ollie. Um, and that's some of our favourite dialogue, I think, was yeah. the dialogue between the two between the Things two characters. Between them. It's it's like you've got the classic um, old school, you know, young pup, but like modernised for the for the you know the that podcast world. So 
was that was it fun to write the Cooper character? Because he seemed to be a really fun character to read. <laughs> yeah, he's so much fun to write. I think, um, yeah, I, I really like that that buddy cop kind of trope. And I think hopefully this is sort of a bit of a modern spin on it. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. Cooper represents everything that Ollie finds really frustrating about her job because he is enthusiastic and pure and pumped and loves all the new technology and is very action-oriented and quick um, and sort of pretty naive, I, I guess, as well. So she initially just finds him so irritating um, and their relationship does evolve from there, but the dynamic, I guess, was extremely fun to to create and to sort of wrestle with and to write. So. I think, um, yeah, he's definitely sort of a pretty important character in the book. And I think that that wrestle between um, Gen X and Gen Y or sort of slash millennial was also, I just think it's something that's really interesting as these new ways of doing um, industries have, that have been around for such a long time, they've kind of taken on a life of their own. And so there is all of these people that should be the most confident they've ever been in their career. They've got you know, 20, 30 years of experience un under their belts and they should be sort of in that prime career moment, but they're not because they've got all these kids coming up in their industry that kind of know more than they do and talk a different language and have all the information that their key stakeholders want. And so it's created this really odd dynamic of knowledge, power, information, energy, and kind of what people value. Um, and I think that's in like lots of industries. Um, it's definitely in, in my sort of um, my job industry, but definitely in the world of media and journalism, I think it's really prevalent. So I thought that was a, just an interesting side theme to have. And it, and it does end up kind of being pretty relevant to the story as well. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun piecing all of that together. And um, yeah, Cooper, yeah, he's, he's super fun. It's super fun to create and to write. Yeah, he was definitely fun to uh, to have in the, in, the, in this book, uh, certainly with some of the themes that were that were going <laughs> that were going on, which I'm not going to say what they are, um, just that they were. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the um, I think the other character that looms quite large in the in the book, Anatomy again, is um, is Dean, um, and uh, he he's like a really he's a really interesting character, and you can kind of see I think from an outsider perspective, you can see some. You know, warning signs that this relationship might not be perfect, but um, Olive, you know, or Ollie, uh, she seems to want to ignore those signs that you think as a journalist, right? You know, she should know what's what's sort of happening. Um, was that tricky to write that dynamic without, because she is such a powerful, strong woman, but to still make her vulnerable in her personal life? Is that a hard balance to get right? Yeah, I think Dean's kind of, it is that question of like, well, what happens when you get what you've always wanted? Um, and I think that's where Ollie is with Dean. You know, she's she's fantasised about having him for such a long time. Um, it's not a spoiler. She's got him right from the start of the book. But you know, what, what happens when you get the fantasy man um, or partner and you then kind of don't feel as if everything's quite as perfect as you thought it was going to be? And I think what she really wrestles with is kind of emotional versus rational because some of the things that um, aren't sitting sort of particularly well with her around Dean, they're not, they're not really obvious red flags. There's sort of just like this 
uneasiness around him sometimes, but there's all this other stuff that's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's also that kind of um, that uh, society piece that she slipped into where she's like, I know that he's a great catch. I know that a lot of people would think that I'm so lucky. And that almost starts to become the measurement stick, which is both completely normal and understandable, but probably a bit dangerous as well. So, yeah, I think she's really struggling with kind of... um, you know, knowing knowing all the facts, but then also having to go, but how do I actually feel about this? So, yeah, and I think there's a bit of guilt too. Like she's like, I finally got what I wanted, but I don't love it or maybe I'm not sure if I love it. And then I think she feels a bit ungrateful potentially um, as a result of that. So, yeah, she's got she's got quite a few things that she's um, navigating and that's even before the, <laughs> the, the cold <laughs> That's right. I was going to say that's just like that's just from the beginning of her relationship. That's what I'm saying. It's not a spoiler. It's like it's right from the. It's right. right. You've really just placed her in a very interesting emotional situation. It makes it makes her story all the more interesting to read. And I did think again, spoiler free, that the ways in which you showed how you might sometimes really want to like someone, like your head your brain will tell you this is a good person for me to like and you just you know that it's not there but also similarly when you get the thing you think you want it might not be the thing you want I thought it was really well done um and also yeah. sort of uh yeah sorry I didn't want to cut you off on the on the verge oh, of saying no that's, that's, no it's fine I I think it's it's hard you, you kind of want to write um you know, you, you know that there's familiar tropes that, that stories kind of fall into, but, you know, you want to do something different and then you want to also just, I guess, honour the character, which sounds a bit silly because you cre- create them. But, um, yeah, I liked the idea of this being a bit unorthodox in terms of she is with a partner. Um, it's not sort of there's no, there's no infidelity in this current relationship that necessarily, but it's still, it's still very complicated um, and it's messy and, yeah, she's she's definitely caught between past version of herself, current version of herself and what she thinks she might want in the future and she's I think that's where she's really stuck in not being sure what decisions to make. So, yeah, yeah I'm glad. Society, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I love that this is all happening, right? So we've been, talk- been able to talk about this for so long and we could keep talking about all of the, uh, you know, the different dimensions of her character without even talking about, we, I guess, as I said, hard to talk about, but about the fact that we're doing, you're doing all this on top of writing this super complex. A multi-plotline, <laughs> multi-timeline. Yeah. yeah, like we're just talking about the, the character. We're talking about stuff that's aside from all of that. And that's what I like so much about your writing. And I, it's, it's why I love the Gemma books so much as well, is that you have all of this emotional landscape going on. And it's equally as interesting to the plotting and cold um, casing versus current casing. Like it's all yeah. woven in so well and just ends up with a really rich reading experience. Where at the end I was, re- I was racing along so, so much to see if I was right about what I think may or may not have happened. And to the point where I was like, oh, I just like missed like so much dialogue on that page because I'm trying to like get, so I had to like go back and reread the last chapter like sensibly so I could really like understand what it was that I was reading um so I'm always so curious the thing that I love so much about crime books is that so freaking hard because they're made up to get 
you think it would be it, you think it would be easier if it was made up but i think it's harder to try and get all the plot points to where they need to be to end up at a point where readers go yes that's the right outcome for that book do you plot those parts of the book all before you go or are you as you go things develop and you kind of end up at a uh, end up at a outcome for the crime element of the book yeah it's definitely the latter and i yeah i think that in a way that's helpful because maybe if I set out uh, with the intention to write something, I would actually be overwhelmed about how to pull it all together. Um, but no, I, I tend to just write. I've got, I've obviously got sort of a, a plan in my mind in terms of um, a premise, and I sort of know vaguely what I'm writing toward, but it definitely changes. So the details change, and exactly how it all kind of comes together changes. Um, and new characters come come in as well and they seem so obvious in retrospect but um like people like rusty you know just appeared and i was like oh yeah of course he you know he should be he should be there and that makes sense for all of these different reasons um so like, like they just appear and i mean I've, I've got great faith this sounds really silly but i've got great faith in my brain now because i kind of go it's obviously working away <laughs> while I'm writing <laughs> and maybe there's something I think there's something in the process of me writing that kicks my brain into kind of this this gear where it has to kind of stay a step ahead and so I will often find that the more I write the more I'm like oh of course that's what you know I'm, I'm kind of get, getting towards so it's a funny process but um I definitely need to go back and fix things a lot because of the way that I write you know I'm so jealous of those people that plot everything out and write little synopsis for each character um, chapter and then and each character and then sort of pull it all together. It sounds really nice and yeah. like really calm. <laughs> um, well, so and I what, just would that, what would that be like for them to write it then? Because then you've done everything and then the process of writing it would have no discovery left or so it would seem. Yeah, I don't, I'm still jealous of it, but yes, maybe <laughs> you're right. Um, it just sounds very kind of grown up, but um, yeah, I do. I think I write quite fast and I think maybe that is because I'm thinking and writing at the same time. And I think that energy does help with crime novels. Maybe it'd be different if it was more of like a straightforward literary fiction or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just, I think I've got a couple of like themes and, um, and sort of an end goal, but it all just sort of comes together around that. And I don't even write in, in a linear order anymore. Like I jump all over the place and write like random chapters that I stitch back in at some point. So it's pretty chaotic, um, but it just seems to be the way. So I'm not gonna fight it too much. <laughs> oh, no, no, please don't. Cause whatever you're no, doing. No, it's genius it's like, chaos. Cause I, I, did, I, I, I did not guess, um, I did not guess. And that makes me happy because I don't like guessing and knowing being right. I don't mind guessing no, being wrong. And I will go you one up and say, I didn't try to. Like when I'm really. That's right. Yeah. I like, I like when I'm reading a crime novel and I like the experience of reading it and some part of your brain is trying to figure out the crime. I like that. That's why I like crime. But every so often there's a book and you're just so, I guess, emotionally invested on a different level where it's not it's not wholly about what happened. It's also about the characters that you're with and what's going on with them emotionally. And that little part of my brain that's like, who did it and what happened and everything, yeah. it just shuts up and just like sits back and goes on the ride. And I 
found that the housemate was that experienced for me. So I not only did not figure out what was where we were going, I didn't even try to. I was just on the ride. I like <laughs> really enjoyed it. Um, well, it's probably the same, same as me, maybe. Like <laughs> maybe I was the same. But I do. I don't. It's hard to. Um, it's hard to be objective about your book. I was saying that to you guys before, but. Yeah, I, I do, I am becoming aware that I kind of write books that are quite, um, there's, there's many narrative threads to them. That just seems to be the way it all pulls together. And I think for that reason, maybe they're not as cut and dry as like a, a straightforward thriller would be where you are just, there's one big question that you want answered. And like, I love those books so much. And, you know, they're definitely page turners. Whereas, yeah, I sort of, I think you're right. Like my books are more like, <laughs> like complicated tapestries that have a couple of questions but um hopefully you still want to know the answer to but it's maybe not maybe not as edge of your seat stuff um because there is a few different things happening I don't know it's, yeah it's hard know, it's hard to know. know not very edge of the seat yeah okay it wasn't like you some books you know and that doesn't mean they're bad but bad books but some books you just uh when you're reading it you're just spending the whole time being like oh oh is that a, is that a clue was that a clue whereas i didn't care if this was a clue or not a clue right i was like i'm i know you'll tell me i know i'll find out in the end and i can be like oh that's what that was but uh I just wanted to just keep going through the storyline. And I think, I think that dynamic of the three housemates being three young women in their early 20s who seem to be the best of friends, something has clearly gone wrong. And you're just thinking, and the fact that you get these chapters from Alex's point of view as well. Mm, yeah, they were good. Through the book really just made you draw, drew you back to that time and just made you go, wow, what could it be? What could it be that could, and you just, your brain's just going in all these places. What could it be that could make these three young women so together, like that, you know, to the exclusion of everyone else, but then for something so terrible to go wrong? And how do these fringe players, which ones, which ones are actually key to the book and which ones aren't? And I thought that was, that I think is what was another great point about it. It was no deliberate red herrings. These felt like all things that happen in life, right? in life lots of things happen and some things will become more important and will tie together and some things you think that will be important just aren't and um another not a question but just a thing that that to me was what um was amazing about the book and why i think that this book will get so many um people loving it because people that love all sorts of different things about crime will be able to find something in it so if anyone's listening and they're like oh i haven't read something like that before if you haven't read something like that before read it because um i'm telling you you won't disappoint it yeah, and I'm hoping that a lot of people have the experience that you had, Shanu, which is that they read The Housemate and then they realise they have to devour all of yes. the backlist. And then, because I'm so looking forward to you reading those, because then I can talk to you about those. Yes. Um, but I agree, it's a propulsive read. And for me, that's magic hour. When I am so invested in a story that the analytical part of my brain goes just straps in and it's like I let's find out I'm not going to even try and figure it out that to me is the best state to be in when you read because in when you're in that state twists really take you by surprise like um you haven't spent any time thinking about what what might happen it's just happening to you in real time I love it we, we want to know what, you know, we want to know what you think about, you know, we want to ask you questions, but we also want to tell everyone that's listening to this how much we really, both of us enjoy the book because we want, yeah. we want. It's such a joyous job. 
yeah. we get to be like, here's all the questions we have. And also here's how much we love reading the book. Yes. It's yes. a joy. We're running a little bit short on time. And I did want to ask you, you know, this book is just coming out now, but like, are you allowed to talk about what's up next for you after the housemate? So I am not working on anything super seriously. Um, I actually have finished, just finished an audio book recently that's going to be coming out soon as well. Um, and that was a book that I actually started writing before The Dark Lake. So it's sort of come full circle and finally, finally finished it, which is, which is nice. And that has a 50-year-old um, man, a depressed male lead character, so completely different. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's kind of, that's that. And then um, I am to tossing around the idea of a fourth Gemma book. So that's, that's the thing that's currently on my, on my radar, but um, I haven't quite put pen to paper yet. So I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, she just, yeah, keeps coming back and bothering me. So I might have to do something about it. <laughs> that is phenomenal news for me. I uh... I wasn't sure what I hoped to hear you say, but I, I now know that it was exactly that. <laughs> we were told to ask yeah. whether the housemate, even though it's been written as a standalone, would, would stay a standalone because um, I'm very satisfied with where it ended in that, like, I'm like, I wasn't like, oh, my goodness, cliffhanger. But at the same time, uh, I'm very open to please be in this world again because you've created such a great character. And I'm pretty sure we'd all like to see what happens next. But um, presuming then, since we're talking about potentially what's going on in your head is a new Gemma, that if you were going to do this, that would be sometime down, yeah. down the line. <laughs> is that correct? Yeah, I don't it, Yeah, it's funny. Like, I definitely see the housemate as, like, one and done. Um, but, I mean, I guess you just never know. I think it doesn't end in a way that there's a really clear next step, but it also could, there could be something, you know, that happens beyond that. Um, but yeah, at the moment it feels quite um, complete. So yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. But I mean, I do look. I, I've always had this fantasy about um, bringing characters and mashing them together from different worlds, and I think that would be fun at some point. Um, but that oh could be God. any number. Like, that, I guess. Like, yeah, that. That's what I mean. There's so many characters, except for you know. Poor Isabel. Are you going to Bosch <laughs> and Ballard, Ollie and and Gemma? Because that would be the most amazing. That would I mean, be. I could, I guess. That's anything's on the table, but um, yeah. I sort of, I think there's lots of different ways to do that. So um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I guess we'll just have to see. But yeah, no plans for now. I'm I'm focused <laughs> on for, fourth Gemma for if anything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's always could be little Easter eggs in there, right? You know, little appearance of 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 a side character from one in another because the time the timing's different. So I'm um, you know the Gemma books modern. These ones set a little bit in the past, so the characters will have grown up a little That's bit. Right. So all sorts of opportunities that maybe we can look out for. So exciting. Yes, right. <laughs> I very much look forward to whatever comes next. So we're running short on time. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. It's been a delight. And, thank for, you. Everyone, <laughs> and for everyone listening, you can get all of Sarah Bailey's books, um, in, including her latest book, The Housemate, at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks so much for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, 
you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au. Thank you.